0: in uh, the human race asking the questions why am I here? What am I supposed to do here? What happens after here? And as we looked at that, we looked at the idea of is there death after life? The fact of the matter is with eternity there are two sides to that coin. And since we last week looked at the idea of hell, let's ask this question this week. Is there life after life? The fact of the matter is, the simple answer is yes, even though grammatically it ought not be that way. But let's explore this idea of life after life. If you have a brown songbook in front of you, on page number 11, what you'll see is a song that is written, and it's entitled, Above the Bright Blue. That song lyrics go this way. There's a beautiful place called heaven. It's hidden above the bright blue, where the good who from earth ties are riven, live and love an eternity through. This land of sweet rest awaits us. Someday it will break on our view. It is promised by Christ the Redeemer. To his followers, faithful and true, we know not when he shall call us, whether soon the glad summons shall be, but we know when we pass over the river, the glory of Jesus will see. Above the bright blue, the beautiful blue, Jesus is waiting for me and for you. Heaven is there, not far from our sight. Beautiful city of light. Many times when you and I read and sing songs of of that nature, and as we begin to contemplate on heaven, the sentiments that are found within that song are really the only ones we sort of focus in on. We see the beautifulness of, of heaven itself and the beauty that's found therein. We see that it's hidden just past that faithful child of God's last breath. We see that it's promised by God. We see that those who are good and faithful will be there. And that place will be filled with love and be filled with the very glory of God. But that really only scratches the surface of what God has told us about heaven. Remember last week we started with a word you didn't know? Let's start there again. Here's a word you don't know. And before we get too far into this word... Let's look at language as, a, as an overall picture. So language is funny and weird all at the same time. Most of the time in the Greek language, uh, it is a very descriptive language. You, you recall there are four Greek words for our one English word, love. Now we put qualifiers on our word love so we can distinguish which Greek word that is. But when you are translating or bringing words over from other languages, you can't give them extra words if there's only one word for it. So this word comes from a Hebrew word. And Hebrew is a very... uh, While Greek's a very poetic language, Hebrew is a very guttural and basic language. You Remember, you're dealing with shepherds, and then they go, hmm, flock, move. You know, and that's about it. There, there's not a lot of color and, and wonderment seen within the Hebrew language, although the Greeks may say, we should take our flocks, move them from this green pasture over to that other green pasture going past this little babbling brook, you see. And it's all the same statement. So here you have the word Aronos, And in the Hebrew, into the Greek, it has four different meanings. The first meaning is exactly right where your head is. It's the air you're breathing. Right here, right where you are. And if you stand up, it's there too. If you lay on the floor, that's where it is too. Imagine that. It's just where your head is. The second idea is where the birds fly. Just a little bit higher. Where you and I see the glory and the wonder of God, and we see those birds in the heavens. The third place is the home of the moon and the sun and the stars. Where the heavens declare the handiwork of God Himself. And of those three out of four, none of those are what we're dealing with. It's the fourth one. It is the dwelling place, the home. of God. You see all of those other instances of using the idea of heaven have something to do with here. But number 4 has to deal with the here after. 683 times the word heaven is found in the Bible and it's found in every Spot from the idea of where our heads are to where the, the, uh, the planets are, even to where the home of God is. or 256 times the idea of heaven is found in the New Testament. Go back to last week. We looked at the, the nature of man as he deals with hell and, and how he wants to excuse it or move it away from, from what he would want to do. You know why that is? Because as you and I study through the idea of hell, when we look at that, it's a punishment. How many of you have children? Just go ahead and raise your hand. This is not a trick question. Good. How many of you like to punish your children? All right, there are a couple of y'all I need to talk to. We don't like that. We don't like to talk about that. We don't really want to think about that. But sometimes it has to happen. And such is the the human's view of hell. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to look at it. I want to pretend like it doesn't happen. It will. When we look at heaven, though, we look at it in different ways. A poll was taken taken quite recently has two questions. One, do you believe in hell? Two, do you believe in heaven? Number one, do you believe in hell? 12% of Americans... Now, do you hear what I'm saying? 12%. That's two more than the fingers I have. 12% of Americans say they believe in hell. Then on to question two. Do you believe in heaven? 88%. 88% believe in heaven. Hmm. The same words, the same ideas, negatively and positively, are used to describe both places. And yet one I want to believe in wholeheartedly, the other one I don't want to even think about. Some would say, uh, there's not an afterlife, good or bad. That when you and I pass from this life, we stop breathing, that's it. And we're placed in that ground and we begin to decompose and that's it. That's a sad thought. There's nothing that, that no matter what I do or how I do it here really doesn't mean much of anything. What a sad thought that is. There are others who will say it's only the religious, uh, religiously sincere that will be in heaven. Wait just a moment. We might not believe that either. And you say, Preacher, I'm I'm pretty sure I believe that. Let me ask you a question. How religiously sincere do you believe those gentlemen were who entered those planes on September the 11th? Now, we begin to look at this in a scope of the globe, and we have to say, perhaps it's not just the religiously sincere Others say, "Don't you know First John chapter four and verse eight, preacher? I mean, you have that book. You talk about that book all the time. Obviously, you've read that, haven't you? Know God is love, so He's going to save us all. Shame, shame, shame. Have I not read? I have read First John four and verse eight. Have you not read the rest of it? It is not simply just the fact that God loves a man, that he's going to save man. It's not the fact that God loves Americans, he's just going to save me because I'm born somewhere geographically. That's not the point. Man has always, whether he has decided to look at heaven or hell in this perspective, has always wanted his cake and to eat it too. It's a man by the name of R.G. Lee, not a member of the church, but he makes a great statement about heaven And really, eternity, or heaven itself, as you and I look at it, here's what he says, Heaven is the most marvelous place in the wisdom of God, or that the wisdom of God could conceive. And it's the most marvelous place that the power of God could prepare. So when you and I begin to look at the idea of heaven, we begin to see its magnificence. And while other people bring out the idea of its magnificence, we try to ascribe it in human language, and it just, it doesn't work very well. I had a teacher at school one time who said, um, be faithful and make it to heaven, and uh, you will more than likely want to go and find the Apostle John and kind of... Ask him what his problem was when he would try to write about it and describe it. Oh, uh, we can say it has this and has that, tried, trying to describe what it is. It's beyond description. There's a man by the name of Penn Gillette who is a, uh, a famous atheist, all, probably almost as much as he is a famous magician. He said, we find the place called hell very hard to understand. However, when we deeply examine heaven, we must begin to think about the existence of it also, both heaven and hell. After all, he said, we've been taught all our lives, if it looks too good to be true, is he right? And we look at this idea of heaven, we say, well, that's way too good to be true. Oh don't listen to that. With Sir Isaac Newton as he was passing from this life into eternity, the last words he made mention of on this earth, he said, "I am still in the land of the dying. But soon soon I will be in the land of the living." What's he talking about? Is there life after life? Is heaven real? Is it a real place, or is it just some sort of salve for my, uh, my mindset so I quit thinking about the fact that death is rushing toward me? Look at John chapter 14, beginning verses 1 through 3. Jesus would say, hell is a literal place. As, Je- as Jesus begins, he's speaking there to his disciples, those ones who will become the apostles, you know, in Acts chapter 2. And he's giving them some final instructions there. And you and I can learn a lot from those final instructions. John 14, and verse 1, he begins by saying, Let not your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. Stop right there. Let's translate that just a little bit better so we can fully understand what Jesus is saying. Let not your hearts be troubled since you believe in God. Believe also in me. Chapter 14 and verse one is an unequivocal statement of Jesus' deity period. He said, "I am God incarnate." And as such, you and I find in Hebrews chapter uh, number four that God cannot lie." He would go on there in John chapter 14 and verse two to say, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And realistically, what it would say would be In my Father's house are many rooms. There's one big house, and everybody has a room. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. It was not the case that Jesus would walk around with his disciples and sort of say, Yeah, everything's going to be lovely and rosy. He spoke very often of his death and how that death would be. There was not a point in time where Jesus would ever try to to whitewash something so that those disciples wouldn't think uh, either positively or negatively on what's about to happen. And so he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 1 through 3. As you and I look at that, we see Jesus saying, heaven is a literal place. And as you and I look in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, heaven is a better place. It's better than what you and I live in. There are those who would believe that In A.D. 70, as the nation of Israel's Jerusalem was being overtaken, that that was the judgment of God and that we have begun some sort of heaven and hell now. Well, let me tell you something. If we are in heaven, it ain't that good. And if we're in hell, it ain't that bad. That's not the case. God would say about heaven, it's way better than what you can imagine he said matter of fact in Hebrews 11 verse 13 through 16 those people who left Egypt are looking for a better place when you and I see the nation of Israel march triumphantly out of Egypt there's a principle there for us you know nobody there in Israel leaving Egypt was taken out of their house and thrown out of Egypt by God yeah you know they could have stayed and at some point in time, they said, why did we leave and come out here? We could have at least stayed and died in Egypt, and that's where you would have ended. There's a picture being painted there for us about us and our sin. Oh, we can stay right where we are and live and die right in our sin. But if I want the reward of God from heaven, then I'm going to be searching for that better place. I'm going to leave this place of oppression and search for that better place. You find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it's an eternal place. There's the same type words that are used about hell in uh, Matthew chapter 25, and verse number 46. It's eternal. It's, it's, remember last week we talked about hell lasting forever, even if we could not... Fully encapsulate the idea of forever in our minds. That's how long heaven will be. Just as long. It's the place of eternality. That is the place that that never ends, the place that no one ever grows old, and nothing, the day doesn't change. I was cutting grass yesterday. Let me take that back. I was weed eating a lot of weeds yesterday. It's always fun. And constantly on my mind as I was knocking down weeds was this. You better get finished before dark. You know how silly you look in the dark with a headlight on trying to... You can't do that. You better get done before dark. We have time limits on our days. Heaven's not that way. There is no time limit. Time doesn't exist. It's rest for the weary. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, there Jesus said, I will provide rest. Rest. So after I we'd a little bit yesterday... I came in, took a shower to get all the weeds off of my face, and then I sat down. And from what I understand, some point in time I started snoring. My job does not require a lot of physical labor. You know that day when you've done all the physical labor you can, you feel like you're about to fall out, and you have your meal and you sit down and think, I'm going to watch this or that, and then you wake up and it's about 2 in the morning, and you decide to go to bed. Our body craves that rest after that work after your spiritual work is done, will your body crave that rest? That rest that's provided by God where Jesus said, it's found in me. Heaven's a place without, and I'm going to make an amendment on this one, without pain or death or sorrow. Revelation 21 and 23 and 25, 24, 23, 24, and 25. We begin to read... uh, Snippets about heaven itself. And while we look at this idea of a place without pain and death and sorrow. We look at our lives and realize our life is based around death. You know what? If, if, if I don't live until Jesus returns, you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to die. We gather in buildings like this to pay our last respects to a person who lies in state right here, who has passed from this life into eternity. What about a place that doesn't have those kind of gatherings? About a place that doesn't have sorrow found there or pain found there? It is the book of Revelation, chapter 14, that tells us that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Now, let me tell you the differences between males and females, as far as I know. Miss Brandy's raising her eyebrows. I don't know much. If I hurt... Bad enough, I will cry. If my bride watches something that is a very happy thing, if she's sitting beside me, the cue is this. That's slight, you know. You don't see it, but that's the cue. And this is the response. Because she's crying over something that has made her emotional, that is a happy thing. I don't understand that. That's not the way I'm wired. And so when I look at the idea of God wiping away those tears, I look at that idea as, as me crying over something hurtful. And it's, it's not until I learned the lesson from my wife who cries over the things that are happy, that I understand. Will there be tears in heaven? Are there tears of joy here? Hmm. God will wipe away those tears. It's a place for the righteous, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 13. It's not a place for the unrighteous. It's a place for those who continue to seek and to do what is right. The root word of righteousness is right. So, if I'm going to follow after God, here's what I'm going to do. We do what he says and do those things that are right. What's he going to reward me with? It's a place to see Jesus and to be with Jesus. First uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 said, we will, be, we will see him as he is. Now I want you to stop right here. And, and think of how many times you've been on social media and this particular um, question come around. I think it's more of a thought-provoking question than it is necessarily what you want your answer to be. Uh, but I have no thought-provoking questions. Mine is immediate. If you had the opportunity to sit down on a bus, or on, a, on, a, on a park bench, with one person from history for an hour, who would you sit with? Some people answer all types of presidents or all types of monarchy or, or this person or that person. And I immediately think and say, Jesus. And here's why. I have a good idea-ish what he would have looked like, and it's nothing like the 15th century paintings from England, but I like to look at him. how tall was he? How broad was he? what did his face look like? I want to I look right at him. And I might not say anything for that hour, I may just stare at everything that he has. what did his hands look like? What did his feet look like? I want to see him. Sometimes I get very uh, jealous of the disciples. Because they, uh, they, sometimes they understood what they had in their hands. Most of the time they didn't. Boy, could, what if I could change places with them? What if I could see him? You can. He said, you can see me just like I am if you'll go to that place. Heaven's a place of consciousness. We find in John 11, verse number 25, Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Did Jesus know he was going to die? Yeah, shake your head that way. Jesus know he was going to be resurrected? When he came up out of the ground, did he know he was dead at one point and now is resurrected? Oh yeah. It's a place of consciousness. We're not going to, to lose the idea of who we are or what we did to get to where we are we're not going to just end up in heaven and say I wonder what this place is it looks pretty nice don't know exactly what we did to get there Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 through 24 it's a reunion goes right along with the idea of consciousness it will be a reunion from all of those from Adam all the way through the historicity of man who have been faithful to God, who have the opportunity to be together to glorify Him right there. You want to know what Jesus looked like? You want to see the scars on Paul? You want to rub your hands, for you gentlemen who work with your hands, over the calluses of Noah? It's a reunion. Do I know what they look like? No, but I will. Heaven. Is it real? It absolutely is. But you need to know something. We all, all of humanity, we all will spend eternity somewhere. And you don't have to miss out on heaven. You don't have to say to yourself, I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that. You don't have to miss out on heaven because everybody's invited. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus would say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. What's he offering? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn upon me because I am meek and lowly at heart. Not only is everyone invited, you don't have to miss heaven because everyone can receive forgiveness. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, Peter, speaking for Jesus on that day of Pentecost, said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can be forgiven. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't understand. You're not being forgiven by me. If you're looking to to be forgiven by me, you're looking in the wrong place. You can be forgiven by God, who forgives completely and who saves man completely. Yeah, well, he can't save me. Is there something God can't do? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. All are invited, all can receive forgiveness, and all can live for Christ. When you examine 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, what you're going to find out is that temptations in all forms come to all men everywhere. But God doesn't leave us strung out there, high and dry. He makes a way for us to get through that temptation. And he says, you can do it. You can live for Christ if you put your mind to it. In Second Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 8, Paul would say by the inspiration of God that everybody can be rewarded. You remember verse 6 where he says, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Uh, I've, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. He goes on to verse 8 and he says this, Henceforth, and because of all of these things, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. If that verse ended right there, we could take that and infer that God will give that to anyone who lives that same lifestyle that Paul lived. That same faithfulness that Paul lived, God will reward. But you don't have to suppose. Paul will spell it out for you. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. And not only to me, but to all them that love his appearing onto all, all of those who live that same faithful lifestyle. You don't have to miss heaven. But the fact of the matter is this. You and I will live somewhere in eternity. Where exactly that is... Depends on the next two minutes. Don't pack up. Two minutes for eternity. Pay attention. You ready? If you have not been obedient to God and His plan to save man, today is the day to do that. Today is. Today is the day to hear what God has to say and believe it. Today is the day to repent of your sin, to confess that Jesus is the Christ. Today is the day to be baptized, having those sins washed away and being added to the church by Jesus himself. And as I look around our assembly this morning, I see those who may not have. I see a lot of those who already have. I told you it was only two minutes, so here we go. Your eternity depends on this. Are you still as close to the Father as you were when you were toweling off in those rooms back there? Or have you walked away? The fact of the matter is God wants faithful children. Children, yes. And faithful children, obviously. If you haven't been faithful, it's time to come home to a God that loves you. To a family that misses you. And do those things right now while we stand and sing.